Final session of the Moot Lent course 2012 at the Guild Church of St Mary Aldermary, Vanessa Elson explores the theme of call and response. About how do we engage in deeper listening? And that is really what solitude and silence um, is about. Is that, is that we go into silence and solitude to engage in a deeper listening. And that listening, I think, has three levels, but they're all deeply connected. We listen to ourselves, we listen to God, and we listen to others. So what does it mean to really listen? Um, Well, speaking and listening is actually on the school English curriculum. But I have to say, I don't think that we're really taught how to listen, at least I wasn't. And I have to say, I think I'm a pretty poor listener, and it's something I need to improve on. Because I think that in our culture, probably the main emphasis is about um, how we present ourselves, how we can effectively get our ideas across, how we learn to persuade and influence others. But in a sense, it's all about how we take up the space, um, how we put ourselves in the centre. Perhaps what we're not taught is the value and importance of stepping out of the centre to give someone else the lead role, uh, what it means to get ourselves out of the way. And I think that we don't realise that this is the only way really towards better understanding and really good working relationships. Because I think that healthy relationships always involve a kind of a dance. That a bad dance is when someone just hogs the limelight, (laughs) doesn't let anyone else in. Whereas a good dance will always involve good choreography, it's a kind of giving and receiving. Um, Good listening is always about uh, someone giving you space and then you giving them space. It's a flow, it's a movement. I mean, just think a minute, what does it mean to really listen to another person? And it does mean, in a way, you've got to put aside your own agendas, preconceptions, all those wonderful ideas you've got, um, all the ways you think you're right. You've got to put that aside if you're going to really hear what they're trying to say, rather than, when can I chip in, when can I get my point across, you know, when can I, how can I win this one, how can I show my point of view. Um, Good listening means making space for the other person within yourself. It's an act of hospitality. You put yourself to one side and you make space for them. It's like you say, you sit here, I'm gonna give my attention to you. And I think that um, listening and real engagement with another person often requires that you, you sometimes have to try and repeat back what you think they're trying to tell you to make sure that you have got, have I got this right, what you're trying to say, have I got the right emphasis here, have I really understood what you're saying, or sometimes it involves you need to ask questions, you know, what is it you're saying, 
is this what you're saying? Um, can we explore this together? And that kind of listening is what helps you to start to actually understand where the other person is really coming from. You can't listen if you're defensive or aggressive. It's just impossible. And you also can't listen if you're too insecure uh, to let go of your own need to dominate or be at the center. If your own needs are just too great, it's very, very difficult for you to make space for someone else. And um, obviously listening is particularly important when there's been a breakdown in a relationship, when there's been a disagreement or an argument. The only way really back into that relationship is to sort of put down the defensive or aggressive posture and to actually start to listen again to the other person. Um, you've got to try and start to say, okay, I'm really, I was really upset, it made me really angry, but now I'm prepared to try and hear your perspective. I'm prepared to try and say, okay, so what was motivating you? Um, what, was, what was the information that you were acting on? What was your perception? And then hopefully you get a chance to talk about what was motivating you and what your perception was and what your information was. And uh, I, uh, I found this little, um, partly because I'm about to get married, I found this little online um, course about relationships and communication skills. And there was a great little cartoon <laughs> that was all about what happens if you have a, if you, you know, you have a they called it making a mess. <laughs> it really is like when you have a really big argument. And it was all about how do you put the pieces back together? Because it's almost like, you know, the pictures got broken. But the reality is, is neither of you has all the pieces. And if you're going to try and put the relationship back together, then what you've got to do is listen and find out what the other the pieces are for the other person and what the pieces were for you. And where was there misunderstanding or misinformation or misperceptions going on? And so this kind of act of listening is, um, is how we restore things that get broken. It's a two-way process. And you have to be prepared to expand or change your perspective. Um, it's back to the dance. You take a position, the other person takes a position, but you're prepared to try and understand those positions and perhaps come to something else. So this is the process of listening. We stop speaking just out of our own agenda, our own need the things that we think we have to say. Um, we come to a place of silence. We learn to empty ourselves to make space for another. And I think this applies equally to listening to ourselves. It's what we talked about, I think, in the second week. Because we need to learn to listen to ourselves. It's a bit like, um, in this case, the other person can be an aspect of ourselves that we haven't given space to. Um, something that we've hidden or suppressed and that we don't often invite into the central space. And I talked about, you know, sometimes the parts of ourselves that we perhaps we don't like, the shadow, the wounded, the inner child, the things that we don't always give space to. We've got to learn to listen to every aspect within ourselves. 
And I think it's the same with God. Because we enter into silence and solitude to make space for God. And we can't listen unless we can make that space. And we actually want to hear unless we're open to what may be a very different perspective to our own. See, sometimes I think we charge into God and we just go, and then we walk away. <laughs> and then we wonder why we can't hear God. <laughs> you know, or God, or we just, we speak to a God that thinks exactly the same as what we think. You know, we, we know what God thinks, really. It's exactly what I think. <laughs> you know, we've got to be willing to actually let God speak. And that's a bit risky. Um, because that might involve us changing uh, how we see or hear things. It, it might involve us changing our mind. And um, actually, that is the root meaning of metanoia, which is the Greek word in the New Testament that is translated repentance. What it really means is a change of mind. So at the root of Repentance or change is this ability to listen. And I think that to truly listen is a converting process. Um, we run a discussion group called Serum in the park next door that will start again actually at the end of this month. And, um, and I think the real value and the, the heart of Serum is it's all about learning to listen to one another. And I always come away and I think when you really engage in honest listening dialogue, it's a converting process for everyone. I think everyone, if they're truly open and listening, comes away slightly changed, different. So to really listen, I think requires a level of intentional commitment. I think it's a willingness and readiness to make room for a significant other. You know, we open a door, we give permission. And a true act of listening means we will in all likelihood be changed because we're going to hear something new. We're going to allow another person to influence us. And I think it's why Jesus says we have to be careful to who or what we listen to. You know, we need to pay attention. We talked last week about well, what do we really listen to? What influences us? We need to think about what are we letting, what are we really listening to, and what and who are we letting really influence us? Because any real, I think, significant relationship will change us. There's a kind of listening that's never really open in the first place. It's kind of closed from the beginning. But true listening involves risk, and it's going on a journey of discovery. We won't come back the same. Because I guess the question is, what will we do with what we hear or discover? Um, one of the stories of the desert in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is um, the Israelites, after God has released them from slavery in Egypt, uh, in an incident called the Exodus, um, they get to wander around the wilderness. But the problem is, they end up that, that actually needn't have taken them that long, because God sort of promised them this land they're going to get to, God's going to give you this land. But this journey ends up taking them 40 years. And uh, the tragedy is, is that really it's like a whole generation never gets to enter into the promise because they never really believe and listen to what God says to them. And the Bible talks about that in terms of their hearts are hard. It's like the words just bounce off. They don't sink in. 
And I think the reason for the orthodox tradition um, of descending into the heart or bringing the mind into the heart is that we truly hear and listen in our innermost being. And this is the sacred, holy place. Our heart, our soul, our innermost self. Because this is where we allow ourselves to be touched. We let down the barriers and defences. We let go of fear, bitterness and unbelief. And we make space again to hear afresh, to be stirred afresh. And that's why I think the journey of listening to God is so bound up with listening to ourselves. It's really difficult to separate. They both happen sort of together. And that both of these will profoundly affect how we listen to others. So, um, I said last week I'd talk about vocation or calling. And I want to do that with the backdrop of what we've just been talking about listening. Um, and a bit like you, I want to reframe, reframe those words because um, a lot of people understand vocation in terms of career, job or role. And like you, I think um, that there's a deeper sense of calling that's really about becoming the person you're meant to be um, in every area of life. And that every person has a unique calling and vocation. It's not just a religious thing. Absolutely every person has a calling, a blueprint to live out. Um, you know, everyone in this room, you have a calling, a vocation. And it's probably primarily to become yourself and live that out in very concrete and particular ways. And I think that the heart of reality is a call and a response that God is speaking and waiting for us to respond. This is the dance we're being asked to engage in. It's an invitation to a conversation. And that it's not just God telling me what to do or seeking guidance for a particular need or this or that. That it's much, much more than that. That I think it's an invitation into a deeply committed and engaged dialogue, which is what any real relationship is. And that call and response is part of the deepest pattern of life. I call to you, you respond to me. And vocation or calling is understanding this call and response at the most fundamental level of our being. It's an understanding that we each have a unique response to make to the call and gift of life that we've been given. And at this point, I'm going to hand over to Rowan Williams again. <laughs> um, and again, on the online document, I'm gonna put um, the links because he's um, done two really good talks on vocation. And I'm just going to read this bit at length because I just think it's so helpful. From the moment of birth, even before that, onwards, you will be at each moment that particular bundle of conditioning and possibilities. And to talk about God as your creator means to recognize at each moment that it is his desire for you to be 
and to be the person you are. It means he's calling you by your name at each and every moment, wanting you to be you. And this may be the clue to the problem we have in thinking of vocation. Because it isn't that God looks down from heaven at a certain moment and just drops a vocation on you as if he were utterly disinterested and uninvolved in what's actually there. If we take seriously the idea that God is faithful and doesn't change, we need to think of him speaking over and over again the same word to us, our true name, our real identity, and making us be over and over again in that speech of his, in his word. In other words, vocation doesn't happen once and for all at a fixed date. Paul himself, he means like the Apostle Paul in the Bible, who had that dramatic moment, um, who seems to be the classic instance to the contrary, recognises this precisely in talking about being set apart from his mother's womb. It happens from birth to death. And what we usually call vocation is only a name for the moment of crisis within the unbroken process. It's a moment of crisis because answering the call to be oneself at any given moment is not at all easy. In spite of how it may sound, it isn't a bland acceptance of the status quo in your life or a license to surrender to every possible impulse. God asks for his word to be answered. He calls for response. To exist really is to exist as responding to God. Each of us is called to be a different kind of response to God, to mirror God in unique ways, to show God what he is like, so to speak, from innumerable new and different standpoints. So one clue to our identity is this, the idea of mirroring God. We have to find out what is our particular way of playing back to God, his self-sharing, self-losing care and compassion, the love because of which he speaks and calls in the first place. Crises occur at those points where we see how unreality, our selfish, self-protecting illusions, our struggles for cheap security, block the way to our answering the call to be. To live like this, to nurture and develop this image of myself may be, self, may be safe, but it isn't true. Insofar as it's unreal, it's ungodly. God cannot reach me if I'm not there. The crisis comes when we put the question, what am I denying? What am I refusing to see in myself? What am I trying to avoid? This is where we have to begin really to attend to ourselves and to the world around, to find out what is true and what is false in us. And Rand says it another way in another book, which is called Where God Happens. And it's a very short bit, he says, it isn't a matter of trying to run away from yourself, but running away to yourself. 
to the identity you're not allowed to recognize or nurture or grow, so long as you're stuck in the habits of anxious comparison, status-seeking, and chatter. I'm just going to repeat that. It isn't a matter of trying to run away from yourself, but running away to yourself. To the identity you're not allowed to recognize or nurture or grow, so long as you're stuck in the habits of anxious comparison, status-seeking, and chatter. And I think this is at the heart of what we go into the desert to attend to, is to find out what is my response to the call? What is God speaking to me? And how am I going to respond? And I guess, what is the true me that's going to respond? And the verse that keeps coming back to me throughout this whole end course, and actually it's, it's been a bit of a verse for me for the last few years, it's the opening of Isaiah 40. And this was spoken to the people of Israel. They were in exile in Babylon. They'd kind of really messed up and they'd been taken out of their land and they'd been taken into captivity and they'd been in Babylon for about 70 years um, in exile. So everything about their identity, who they were, it was kind of like they felt like they'd lost so much. And God spoke to them and basically was trying to, in a sense, saying, right, now I'm going to call you back. I'm going to call you back to who you really are, and that physically meant for them this particular place, this land. And uh, the prophecy is this, this is part of how it sort of comes across. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And Lord in the Bible really means Yahweh, which is the name that God gave to Moses. And what God said to Moses was, his name was, I am who I am. But we don't say, I am who I am. <laughs> we don't say, Yahweh gets translated Lord. But anyway, I don't quite know what to do about that, but I'm going to go back now and <laughs> read the verse again. <laughs> I just think it's a bit annoying because Lord has certain connotations. Anyway, A voice of one calling to the wilderness. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. And it's interesting that those very words um, begin the Gospel of Mark. Um, when he begins the good news of Jesus, uh, he takes those words as a prophecy of John the Baptist, who also appeared in the wilderness, as the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus. So I think that part of this calling into the desert is a calling to prepare, prepare ourselves. And vocation is not just individual. I think it's also communal. I think we have to find a place. Um, it is about finding a unique and personal calling, but we also do that with others. I think we can't, it's very difficult for us just to find it on our own. And I think also that communities as well as individuals have vocations. 
So I think Moot, as a community, we're working out what is our particular response to the calling. What's our particular distinctive way of responding to what we think God is saying to us? And I want to finish by just giving you another image. And it's another way we can think about this picture of removing obstacles out of the way, of making rough places smooth. And I want to use the image of um, music. Because sometimes perhaps it can feel that, you know, we're in a din. We've got this terrible noise around us, you know, like titanus in our ears. We've got noise within and noise without. And I think the call to get still and quiet is to get us away from that noise in order to begin to hear the music. And it's the music that's been playing since the beginning of time. It's the music that first created the world. And it sings and vibrates in every living thing, in all of creation. But we have to get really still and quiet and listen with every fibre of our being to hear. We've got to tune our ears, our hearts and our minds. And it's so that instead of playing perhaps out of tune or being unaware, sort of crashing around in our own small world, we actually learn, we start to become attuned to a greater melody. You know, it's literally like we become drawn to the symphony of the universe, to what was so powerfully played out in the life of Christ. You know, we find a song that we really want to sing. Only this song is unfolding. It hasn't all been finished. It's being written now, and we're being invited to join in. And I'm going to quote again from that book, um, Where God Happens, because it's an image that Rowan uses. I think it's a really powerful image. Others have used it as well. We might think of the creative word as spoken into the vast cavern of potential that is the first moment of created existence. From that darkness came countless echoes of the first eternal word the harmonics hidden in that primal sound. When we rightly respond to, relate to anyone or anything, it is as if we have found the note to sing that's in harmony with the created word. Or to use language more familiar in Eastern Christian thinking, each living being in the world rests upon a unique creative act of God, a unique communication from God within the infinite self-communication that is the one eternal word. Everything has at its heart its own word, its own logos. A truthful relation to anything is an uncovering of that word. In a recent book on the use of music therapy with autistic children, there's a remarkable description of how the therapist has to listen and react. You let the child make what noise it wants with the instruments put on the floor. And you listen with all your attention until some kind of pattern or rhythm begins to emerge. When it does, you gradually begin to make some kind of pattern or noise yourself that echoes what the child is producing. Communication begins and something emerges that was not there before. So also our cooperation with and response to the Word of God. 
an intensive listening for the rhythm of divine life in what at first may seem to be unintelligible and a gradual learning of how to echo it to make sounds in union with it. And just continuing in my own words. So I think that this calling is that we find our own unique response. Our response to the melody that we're beginning to hear. And we discover that we need others to help us to listen. That we won't be able to play our part without listening to how others are beginning to play their responses. That this is a great choir, a band, an orchestra. It's truly community music. And we might start out of tune, inexperienced, out of practice, but we're all being invited to play. And this piece is evolving. You will call, I will respond. I will call and you will respond. And that's how we learn to play and listen together at first. And we might just begin by sort of learning the basics, playing a few notes. But as we listen and learn, we'll realize that we're also being invited to add something of our own, to improvise within the piece. It's like really good jazz music. You know, really good improvising requires really good listening. And we need to give each other space in the music to let others take their parts at different times. We weave the parts in and out of each other. And the sound we make together becomes rich, complex, and wonderful. And that, in a sense, is what life is meant to be. It's the unity and diversity to which we're being called. But first, we have to get away from the noise that drowns out the melody. And we have to learn to hear the music in ourselves, in others. And we have to find the source of the music and the way back into the piece. We need to become deep listeners. It's perhaps one of the greatest and most urgent needs of our time. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net. Thank you.